You're listening to The Bridge Metro West, located at 7 Strathmore Road in Natick, Massachusetts. For more information about The Bridge Metro West, our weekly Sunday gatherings, and other events, go to www.bridgemetrowest.com. God is good, and all the time. Good morning, Bridge family. Good morning, online Bridge family. We welcome you as well. Just so glad you would spend a couple hours with us on a Sunday morning, on a Sunday, sunny Sunday. It's actually proving true to its name today. It is Sunday today. And just real quickly, anytime uh, you feel like you want to sow into what God is doing, got an email from Kelly Koski yesterday in South Africa, one of the missionaries that we support. You could do that anytime. You just write checks to the bridge. If you're in-house on your way out, you can drop them in the basket on the way back. You can text one word, Bridge Metro West, to the number 77977. We'll send you a secure link where you can give responsibly by credit card or debit card. And uh, the Lord will bless it. He has just given this house the spirit of radical generosity. And it's been amazing, absolutely amazing, what we've been able to do both here locally and globally because of your generosity. So we bless that. We honor that. And uh, we love you guys. And man, a lot of you guys, we miss you as well. But there's more and more people coming back. It's good. So in-house family, give the online family a hand. Let them know what they're missing. That was dangerously close to like a Monty Python, you know. And there was much rejoicing. Sorry. Okay, let's get back in the glory. Hey, we've got, we've got some kids here, and so we want to release them to the crazy lady in the corner waving her hands. Now, she's comp- uh, totally sane. We did a background check. It's amazing. Lisa, where's my, also my sister. So you get what you get. Awesome. And for those of you who are, who shall remain, turn in your Bibles to John chapter 5. And so um, we've got uh, ministry teams today that I think we're starting today at 12 for online. Then we've got our in-house as well. And interestingly enough, uh, even though we're back in limited capacity, um, we're, we're doing, we're beginning to do so many things in the building again that uh, our online ministry teams are working remotely. So they're watching remotely and they're working remotely because we're running out of space in the building, which we've kind of known uh, has been an issue for a couple of years or a few years, but it's really becoming an issue now as we're, we're starting to roll again and do more things and, uh, and doing the right things. Uh, we don't do things just to do them, but we really want to put our hands to the right plows and, uh, and do that kind of stuff. So we are uh, one week away from Pentecost. It's an early Pentecost this year. This year it falls... Um, on it's oh it is this evening 
Well, but that's, is that, is that the same calendar? This evening. My, my calendar said next week. Is it today? Well, I got to change my message now. It's today. Yeah, I was, I was actually um, texting a friend of mine in Israel yesterday, and he, uh, he said it was today too, but then I looked at my calendar. It's next week. I don't know. Where's Greta? She's back with the kids. So. It's next week, yeah, which is my mom's birthday. But man, we, we love the Jewish calendar as well. It's probably the right calendar, to be honest with you. We kind of do our, our thing. Well, yeah, so I'll do next week's message today, and, today and, and we'll just swap them. No, I'm just kidding. It's not really a, a, I don't know what it is. You know, I started in one direction. I always end up in another direction. You know, Bill Johnson never has titles to his message, does he? Somebody titles him after. Probably some young whippersnapper like Jeremy. We'll title the message. We're always trying to get titles. And I started with a title, and I don't think I, I landed with the title, so I'm not, I'm not sure I'll use the title. But let's just read the word. How does that sound? We'll read it passionately, and we'll call it a day. John chapter 5. I'm going to start in verse 5. Again, I'm reading from the Passion Translation. I just can't get out of it. Uh, I've, I've really been, been digging it. Can I say that in a message? I've been digging the word. Come on. I'm a musician, so I can say things like that. I can say, like, dig and cat and... He's a cool cat and stuff. It's not because I'm old. I am a little older. But I'm not that old. I'm pretty, you know, anyway. Got my mama's skin. Now, there was a man who had been disabled for 38 years lying among the multitude of the sick. When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that the man had been crippled for a long time. So Jesus said to him, do you truly long to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, there's no way I can get healed, for I have no one who will lower me into the water when the angel comes. As soon as I try to crawl to the edge of the pool, someone else jumps ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Stand up, pick up your sleeping mat, and you will walk. Immediately he stood up, and he was healed. I get a, I get a kick out of this passage, and I've, I've mentioned it you know, a few different times over the years, and I was just rereading. I've been rereading John. Because Jesus is perfect theology. It's if you know Jesus, you know the Father. If you understand the ways of Jesus, you understand the ways of God. This is why we want to see his glory. It's not just so that we can have a private prophetic party or some kind of, you know, charismatic hoopla thing. It's so that when we are, it's with the understanding that the word gives us that when we experience his glory, when we see his glory in operation, we begin to understand the ways of God. And that's the goal. We want to understand the ways of God. Because if we understand the ways of God, we can flow with God as he is walking out in his ways. Does that make sense? Yes. So show me your glory. Somebody say, show me your glory. The other thing that's interesting about, you know, being, uh, seeing more of God or experiencing more of God is that you become responsible for that which has been revealed to you. I don't say that to create any kind of fear and trembling moment, although that should be at least part of the fruit that, you know, so many people talk about throne room experiences or, you know, I want to be in the throne room and this and that. The reality is the more we know of God, the more that we experience of God, the more we experience him, the more we are responsible for what we've been shown. 
where grace is given, responsibility is assumed all throughout Scripture. You can start in Genesis, and you can go all the way to the end when mankind has been given grace or favor. In the Old Testament, the, the Hebrew word's interchangeable. When you've been given grace and favor, responsibility is assumed. It's not a free-for-all. This is why Paul's writing to the church of Corinth about licentiousness. It's because when we've been given such a great gift, it's now our responsibility to walk out that gift. Now that we're grafted into a royal household, it's incumbent upon us to be royal and peculiar and all of those other things. But we are a holy nation, a priesthood, a peculiar people. I mean, <laughs> I know. It's like the bridge metro west, the peculiar people. That's what we are. And so, even as I was reading this passage, I was trying not to jump ahead in the message because I'm amused so by so many things about this thing. But I, I love what happens here. And there's a, a few things to understand. You've got to understand that this man had been crippled for 38 years. That's a long time. That's a long time to deal with an infirmity. It's a long time to be disabled. It's a long time to, in, in those days, you have to understand that this had different ramifications in that culture than what we see here in America. And there are still nations today where this would have different ramifications than if we were, uh, than, than what you would see in America. You are not only disabled physically, but you are cut off emotionally and socially. You are an outcast of society, and you are kept separate. And that goes for a wide swath of disease. As they had leper colonies for people who had leprosy, because if you were unclean and the clean person got around the unclean person, then the one who is clean would be made unclean by virtue of where they were standing. In the new covenant now, post-Christ, we can go and step into the midst of something, a situation, a group of people, some hardship that is unclean, and by virtue of us being there, it creates a space of holiness because now we can go into that situation, we can go into the midst of that place, place and declare that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Just reach out your hand like this in front of you. Now reach it out to the side, but don't hit nobody unless you need to. That's the kingdom of heaven right there. And you can't carry that everywhere you go. It's the kingdom of heaven. So that's why even when you're in a difficult situation or, you know, works, it's a hard day at work or, you know, you're at the store and somebody just whacked your shopping cart, you can declare that the kingdom of heaven is there because in that space, it is sanctuary. I can't tell you how many places I go and I walk and just even under my breath, I just say, God, this is sanctuary. I declare this space to be sanctuary. We do Zoom meetings. We do online meetings. I'll say, I declare this Zoom room sanctuary, a place where you can move, a place where you can breathe and, and abide. He is not limited by cyberspace. He is in my space, but he goes beyond that space. And so everywhere that you go, when you take on Jesus and you take on the name of Jesus, and we talk about like this Psalm 18 passage, we talk about putting on uh, uh, worship as warfare. 
when you walk, man, I, sometimes I just imagine the ground thundering beneath my feet, not because of me, but because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Can I get an amen? We are participators in the divine nature. We are not observers. I wrote a song like, I don't know, 15 years ago. I don't, maybe not 15 years ago, but a few years ago called Spectator Christianity Must Die. I played it once at a conference and so many people were offended, I never played it again. But it still holds true. You know, the anti-religious, religious people, they loved it. And then some other people didn't like it, you know, so I'm not here to cause controversy. I'm here just here to give glory to God. But I still believe that. Spectator Christianity must die. That was pretty good. So here we have this guy who's 38 years. But here's what I like about the dude. In spite of what we read in the next verses, he has positioned himself for freedom even though he's still in the midst of his infirmity. Sometimes we suffer for so long that suffering becomes our friend. We become more married to our infirmity than we are to the one who longs to set us free from it. And believe me, I, I know. I know what chronic illness feels like. I know what chronic pain feels like. You know, if you had been in my house just a few years ago, man, you would have seen a lot of pharmaceuticals in my house just for me to go from day to day. There was one particular ministry tour that I did uh, back, it was 2010, it was May 2010. And I was in so much physical pain. I'm gonna just be real for you for just for a minute. And then I'll go back to being fake. No, I'm always real. It's like my wife always says, well, honestly, Paul, as I'm glad you clarified the following statement with honestly, because I thought you were about to lie to me. Like, don't say honestly, just, just say it. I'm going to be real. On this particular ministry tour, it was a three-week tour. I was in so much pain, I had to go to the doctors before I went because I wasn't sure if I was in danger. And just to give you some background, I had a, a dirt, dirt bike accident when I was 26 and I blew out my cervical spine and ended up having, they called semi-emergency surgery to repair it. But I had the memory, the nerves had the memory of the injury following that so that even after the surgery, my condition was unchanged. The only difference was that I was no longer da in danger of being a quadriplegic. I was just in pain. So I had to go, and I, I was pretty determined. I'm a little bit older now. I don't know if I'd be that determined now, but I'd like to think so. And so we, uh, I, I went to the doctor, and I asked him, am I in danger or am I in pain? Because I got work to do. And so we did another MRI, and they looked at everything, and they did all these tests and poked needles in my hands and all that. And he said, you know what, Paul, you're, you're in pain. I've been working with this doctor for years. He said, you're in pain. I said, okay, I'm going to go. But for me just to make it from day to day, for me just to move in the morning and to get up onto a platform and worship and minister and speak, that particular period of time, I was traveling with 
Valium, Vicodin, Oxycontin, and I was on two. I went on two separate, uh, separate steroid pulses to reduce the inflammation in my nerves, just so that I could survive. And honestly, let me tell you, it didn't really do much for the pain. It was that level. I had crazy experiences in the Lord, though. No, I'm kidding. But we did. Some of the most powerful meetings and one of, in particular this one particular meeting in one of the darkest places that I've ever been and I've been all around the world I don't want to out this particular region but it was the most demonically infested region that I think I've ever been in and that includes again areas around the world and I remember the night before the meeting, I was sitting and I was praying, and, and at that point, the, the pain levels had begun to ease up, and so I was, I had backed off some things, and, and uh, in my natural ear, as I remember it, I heard a voice, and it said, you've bitten off more than you can chew this time, boy. And I immediately emailed my intercessors. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what's going on in this place, but this demon just kind of came out and, and spoke to me. And let me tell you that after that voice, I could hear both naturally and, and, and internally screams and shrieks basically the entire night. It was very restful. And we went into the church service that morning, and at one point, I just, very early on, I just snapped. And I said, this is not how this is going to go down. And we engaged in what this Psalm 18 passage talked about in terms of engaging in warfare with worship. And we threw down. I'm telling you, you know, it, it, was, it was Memorial Day weekend. I remember this because the pastor told me, he said, you know, just so you know, it's Memorial Day weekend, and so people will stay for the duration of the scheduled service, but when the service, that normal time is over, they're just going to leave because they're going to go do their cookouts. Let me tell you, we were there probably an hour after the close of service, and we were still going strong. Why? Because the power of God dropped in a room. And now, you know, teenagers who were involved in Wicca were coming up and wanting to give their lives to Jesus. You know, mothers standing behind them were weeping. We saw, literally saw signs and wonders and miracles in the midst of my infirmity because my infirmity never became my identity. Even going back in, in, in the day in 2007 when I was very, very ill and I had just you know, been out of the hospital and I had seven bleeding lesions in my colon and I had a, 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 they had diagnosed me with a neuroendocrine tumor on the tail of my pancreas. And I remember one of the things they were talking about was this thing called ulcerative colitis, which I had never heard of. But all I knew is that at that time I, I weighed probably about 40 pounds less than I do right now. And I lost 25 of those pounds in the first five or six days. Not a, not a weight loss program I recommend. And 
I remember going home once things got kind of settled and, and we were trying to figure out what was going on. And by the way, at the end of the day, uh, in June, I was supposed to have surgery that was going to remove my spleen and cut off the tail of my pancreas. And they did one more nuclear med scan and they had to come back to me and say, well, we've been looking at all of your films and your pathology. And he's called in every specialist in the hospital. And we just, I don't know how to tell you this, but there's no tumor and we've canceled your surgery. Now, that's what my wife did. And I sat there and went, huh. And I don't think I spoke for 45 minutes. You would think, you know, because I'm boisterous that I would get up and, you know, do a charismatic dance, but I, I didn't. I immediately was kind of like, okay, well, what now? So, but I was still dealing with some of these other intestinal issues. And so I remember, you know, going on to the, the interwebs and, and looking at forums, and I found this kind of support forum for those people that, that have ulcerative colitis. And I, I you know, I, I registered, and I was like, because I, I need to learn about this thing. I got to figure out what to do. I don't, I don't know what to do. And immediately, I, I felt so strong, the voice of the Holy Spirit in my heart say, stop. This is not who you are. Because as I read through the forum, and now if you're a part of some support group, I... I, I uh, encourage it to a certain extent. People need support and all that sort of thing. It's good. Like, let's support each other. And But here's the thing. When I was reading through the posts, I was reading the posts of people who now identified with their infirmity. And I had to say, this is, the, this is I'm, not, I'm not a word of faith guy to say that I'm going to deny a report. I never told the doctor, well, I don't really receive that. I was too sick to fight that way, to be honest with you. I didn't even have, that, you know what? I didn't even have to, they looked at me for one second. I tried to go to the clinic that was next door to the hospital. And they walked me in and the lady at the front desk looked at me and said, oh no, you're going next door. I didn't even say a word to her. I don't know what I looked like. It's all a fog. I honestly don't remember a lot about those first two, three days. I mean, it's, it's the one time my wife gave me a sponge bath. I don't even remember it. What a shame. What I do remember is like two days later calling and yelling, yelling at her that she wasn't in the ho at the hospital with me. She was at home having a good time with her friends, but she had been in the hospital for 48 hours straight. I just didn't know that. So I was on a lot of medications. Roid rage. They were dumping steroids in my body. Oh, there she is. I was going to tell more stories, but now she's, she's watching. I thought she was in the nursery. So what's my point? My point is that at, at 38 years of infirmity and you're still positioning yourself at the pool of Bethesda because you're not identifying with that which is upon you. You understand that something is upon you, but it is not who you are. When you say yes to Jesus, you are given a new identity and you are a son, you are a daughter of the living God. You are grafted into the promises and the covenant of Abraham. You are now a child of royalty and whatever circumstance that you are in, wherever you are, you can say the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I don't care what is on you or in you or what is plaguing your mind. Faith is the substance of things not quite yet 
yet seen. It's the assurance that that which is not seen will manifest in the scene. That's the kind of biblical hope I'm talking about. And so one of the greatest moments of ministry of my life was in a hospital bed in New Bern, North Carolina, when the nurse came to inject me with fentanyl. And by the way, she did. She put that that drug in me. And normally you'd feel that hit your veins and it's like you could feel it in your whole body and you'd start to feel like you were sinking through the mattress. And she gave me the shot. And then she looked at me with her hardened face like she was like the drill sergeant of nurses on that floor. I'm telling you, there was like there was like a massive like knockdown drag out fight one night at like two in the morning. It was her and some other lady. And I'm pretty sure the other lady lost. She was that level. Like, you don't want to mess with her. So she comes in, gives me the shot of fentanyl, and then she looks at me and says, you know, if the Bible was was written thousands of years apart and there's all these different authors, then how can you tell me it's the Word of God? And I said, you had to ask me that question after the fentanyl. And I began to speak to her, but I didn't answer the question. I started speaking the testimony of Jesus because the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And when the spirit of prophecy is released into a space, it begins to crush and break and chip away at the intellectual mindset that plagues people, that keeps the the idea and the, the substance of faith locked away in a place that cannot be accessed because they're too caught up in the soul that they can't even find the space of spirit. And so for 45 minutes, by the power of the spirit, I spoke into the life of this woman. And I remember looking up and seeing tears beginning to stream down her face as she stood at the foot of the bed. And then after 45 minutes, if any of you have ever been in a hospital, even to have a nurse in your room for 45 minutes is pretty unusual, unless like you're in ICU or something. But she couldn't leave because she was gripped by by the hand of God who who heard my cry when I said, I call this place sanctuary, a place where you can move and abide and breathe and have your way. And he heard my cry even in the midst of worship at 1 a.m. and 2 a.m. so that when the time came and she stood at the foot of the bed trying to appeal to the intellect, I said, I can do one better. I can come at you now with the things of the Spirit and release faith into your life and the, the atmosphere even the molecules of the air began to crackle with the anointing because I was just speaking the testimony of Jesus. And at the end of 45 minutes, she looked at me and said, I can't believe you're talking to me like this after I gave you that injection. I said, it's the spirit of the living God. I never felt the effects of the medication which of course, after she left, I was wanting to feel the effects of the medication, (laughs) but it was worth it. I can't explain it other than to say when Jesus said, go and declare that the kingdom of heaven is at hand, it wasn't a prophetic metaphor, guys. It wasn't some kind of lofty idea that he threw out there to hype up the disciples. There is a heavenly reality. When you say yes to Jesus, there is a reality that you can access by faith and release it in the midst of your circumstance. So 39, 38 years, I'm sorry, 38 years. 
This guy is crippled by infirmity. What can we learn from this? Even as you battle disappointment, you can still fight for freedom. How many people in the room right here have ever been disappointed? Raise your hand. I'm just looking for the lazy people. It's like that's one of those things that preachers do just to make us do something. That's right. I want to see who's on board right now. You have this guy, 38 years, a long-term ailment, but the man is still positioning for healing. 38 years of disability, and he still didn't accept it. We tend to, in a, at least in America, I'll say, we tend to seek out a diagnosis because if we have the diagnosis from the doctor, then it explains why we're living in a way that is less than possible. And so we say things like, my anxiety, my depression, my fill in the blank with your infirmity, whatever it is. If you're outside of the kingdom, I suppose there's, I mean, <laughs> you're looking for identity anyway. And so you're looking for something to attach to yourself to. And I think this is, this is the main issue, is that it's really an identity issue. We're all looking for identity. We're all looking for something. People are constantly attaching some word in front of Christian to define the type of Christian that they are when, man, we could just say, hey, I, I'm in Christ. I'm a new creation. I'm not saying to deny a report. I'm saying to accept the report and walk it out in faith. Does that make sense? If you battle disappointment, it can lead to misplaced responsibility and dependency. Now, I, I have a certain level of honor for this guy because 38 years, and he's still at the Pool of Bethesda. Now, there's a lot of cultural reasons why he would want to be in that place, but I still honor him for positioning himself in a place where he could be made well. But at the same time, Jesus asks him a question, and he doesn't answer the question. But you got to understand where he's coming from. 38 years of seeking freedom while enduring suffering. 38 years of being rejected by family and society. How many days and months or years did he watch others have friends carry them into the pool in their time of need? And again, Jesus asks that question, but the man starts a conversation that Jesus isn't having. How many times have we done that? People will be like, well, I keep praying, but God isn't answering my prayers. Well, Jesus said of the Father, I, can, I can't do anything of myself. I can only do what I see the Father doing. And so maybe the issue isn't Jesus. Maybe the issue is that we're trying to, to engage him in a conversation that he's not having at the moment. The man has no one. 
And so he is focused now in this moment after 38 years, even though he has positioned himself for freedom, he is, po- he, he is focused on his lack. Jesus asked him a question. Do you truly long to be healed? And I think that's a question that any of us can ask. Now we're, you know, in this sort of charismatic prophetic stream, and so we pray for healing. And let me tell you, in those days, when I finally made it back home, which it took us, what, two or three weeks to get home, we traded in our Mazda 6 wagon for a minivan. It wasn't the first car. Well, I mean, that was the first car we ever bought while I was medicated, but it wasn't the last. Seemed like a good idea at the time. It was a nice van. We drove back up here. When I got back up here to the Bridge Metro West, let me tell you, every week there were hands on me. And I'm not talking about like a pair of hands on me. I'm talking to like eight pairs, 10 pairs, 12 pairs. I remember one of John Paul Jackson's interns punched me in the gut. He did like, I guess he asked somebody else for permission before he did it to me. I remember that moment. I was standing there, and he didn't hit me that hard, but he did the whole Smith Wigglesworth thing. If you didn't know, like, Smith Wigglesworth walked around, he'd, like, punch people, and demons would fly off him. Like, how would that work for ministry school? Let's, Let's fold that into Randy Clark's ministry school right now. School of Healing, go punch somebody. Please don't. I mean, if you think that's a good idea, just realize that nobody really liked Smith Wigglesworth. People did not like the guy, they, but they, they had him come because he walked in power. And he walked in power because he surrendered everything. And so the, the reality is that, and if any, any of you have ever dealt with an issue in, in a church like this, like you get to the point where, may, I don't know if I really want anybody else praying for me. Because sometimes you feel like people are praying for you, not out of compassion for what's on you, but because they so badly want to see God do something. And so sometimes you start to feel like the next charismatic guinea pig. Like, put me in the lab. Put me in the charismatic lab, and let's, let's try all of the healing methods and see what works. And I remember one particular Sunday morning, so you got to understand, when I came back, I didn't miss a service. I was the worship pastor of this church. And when I made it back onto this soil, I made the decision that I was not going to allow infirmity to keep me from functioning the way that God had created me to function. I was determined. And I would get up, and and some weeks I could only do one song, and then someone else would take over. Some weeks I could only do two or three songs, which back in that day, two or three songs could go an hour. But but whatever the time, and I would just, when I was done, I would just walk off and someone would finish. But I was determined not to allow that which had come upon me to control me. Anyway, let me get back. The man has no one. How many of us have ever felt like we were in a place of life when even though we were surrounded with people, we didn't have anyone? It's a hard place to be. So Jesus asked him, do you truly want to be healed? I really wanted to be healed. But I think there were other people that wanted me to be healed more than I even wanted to be healed. I remember that one Sunday morning and two of our, our intercessors came up weeping. 
And they were like, you've got to be healed. We, we've just got to see God move. we got to see God move. I don't remember all the things that they said, but they were, they were in front of me crying. I was just kind of standing there like emotionally, like I'm okay right now. Like, I know that I'm sick, but, but God, you got to do it for them because I don't know what's going to happen to their faith if I don't get healed. Like, I was feeling bad for people. Just like, I, you know, I've sat with so many people that have lost loved ones, and, and sometimes when you have lost someone that you love, the, the difficulty is that you're, you're dealing with your grieving, but then you're also dealing with the grieving of other people. Because people come, and sometimes what happens is because people are walking in such an identity of pain that anytime something bad happens around them, they attach their pain to that pain because they haven't properly processed their own history. Does that make sense? That's not my, that's a whole other deal, but, but that can be a difficult thing to navigate. And so Jesus asked him, do you truly want to be healed? And the man's like, well, no one, with no one to carry me, I will, I'll never make it to my destiny. I can only break free if I get prayer from this one person, if I can get into this one prophetic ministry team. I, I will finally find my true calling if I just get another prophetic word. When is Sean Bowles going to speak over my life? I need the hands of another to give me what God has for me. This is what pain will do to you over time if you allow it to overtake you. Something can be a, upon you, but you don't have to allow it to overtake you. This is what Paul is saying when he says, take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. There's so much wrapped up in that one verse and how we navigate the battlefield of the mind. I was listening to a, a, a popular preacher this week and I don't know, I'm doing that more and more. I, I haven't done that historically, but I just find myself doing that. And, and he started to talk about, you know, marriages and, and he's talking about, you know, the, and, and you got this devil that's on your marriage and you can never make things right. And, and he was going on about the, how the devil was attacking marriages. And, and I'm not saying that that's not true, but my Bible says, Here's how you solve your marital problems. Take captive every thought and make it obedient to the mind of Christ. And by the way, if the devil is involved, the word says resist the devil and he will flee from you. But this is your responsibility. This fear belongs to you. You have authority. And so you can say to the devil, get out. And now I speak to, to my mind and the thoughts that want to run away with me. Now I'm going to take you captive and I'm going to make you obedient. Obedient. That is to mean, can that thought exist in the light and the glory and the power of Jesus Christ? If it cannot, then it must die. Okay. Here's the lesson in this passage, though. Jesus asks a question. The man doesn't answer it. He answers with all his lack. He answers God telling God all the reasons why he can't do what he set out to do. But even if you've done that, even if you're having conversations with Jesus that he's not engaging in, even if you've battled disappointment, you've lived in and through disappointment, you can still respond. 
I found myself talking about this a little bit more again lately. We're called to be first responders. It's a, a term that really became part of normal vernacular after 9-11. I mean, you just didn't hear everybody talking about first responders before that, but we, we got a, a real taste. We got a firsthand knowledge of who first responders are. They, they take on risk. And sometimes to walk in faith, you've got to take on risk because faith is substance of the things that aren't seen. And now you're beginning to reach out into an unseen realm and pull upon things as though, as though they are fully manifested in the moment. You are called to be a first responder. When you feel that quickening of the spirit, how subtle it may be, will you respond? And how will you respond? If you've lived through disappointment, the, the lesson that you can learn from the man who was at the pool of Bethesda for 38 years suffering, or he wasn't there necessarily for 38 years, but he was suffering from this infirmity for 38 years in such a way that Jesus, I mean, it doesn't say that he got this by divine revelation. He took one look at him, and it was clear that he had been diseased for a long time. And this man, when he heard the voice, even though he didn't have the conversation that Jesus was having, he still chose to respond. Some of you are in your 38th year, metaphorically speaking, of suffering, of difficulty, of wondering when these prophetic words that were spoken over you 15 years ago, 25 years ago, when they were going to, to pass. Some of you are at the end. You're just about ready to give up. When Jesus comes knocking on the door, you start telling him, I've got nobody. There's nobody that can pick me up. There's nobody that can carry me. There's nobody that's giving me a prophetic word right now. There's no one speaking into my destiny. I've got nobody. I'm cut off. I'm alone. I'm a surrounded by people but no one is looking at me and on the Hebrew calendar tonight is the inception of Pentecost Imagine what it was like to be one of the 120 in the upper room and you are you are at the close of the 39th day day in, day out, wondering why you're here. You think they didn't doubt? You think they didn't have difficulty? And there's, you know, scholars have differing views of what the 120 looked like because, you know, in, in biblical times, often they just counted the men. And so if you're talking about 120, there could have been as many as 500 in the room if you're talking about women and children. But I also wonder how many were there on day one? And how many stayed till day 39? When it got a little hot and stinky in the upper room. How many still remained? And I know I'm stepping outside of, of, the, of, of the scripture, but I always wonder. Because I know human nature. Day one, they're like, oh, Jesus told us to come here and wait. We're going to wait. 
Day two, yeah, we're having a prayer meeting. Let's just uh, Uber eat some food. We'll have it delivered. Day 15. Man, who smells in this place? Day 21. Start to ask the question that the serpent answered in the, in the garden, or the serpent asked in the, the garden. Did God, did God really say to come in the upper room? I mean, doesn't he know that heat rises and it's, it's like warmer in the, this room right now? And can anybody get, maybe we should go get an AC room somewhere with air conditioning. We could do our little conference at a hotel, maybe the Hyatt or the Hilton or Four Seasons. And then day 39, I just imagine that faith began to, to wane. Hope began to fade. This wasn't the purpose that I thought I was called for. Something in the mind of Peter, I remember when he said, upon this rock I will I'll build my church, but I can't see how he's going to do it now because I'm just looking around at the same people who are looking at me, hoping that I have an answer, hoping that I have some word of faith to give them, but it's been 40 days. I, I, don't, I don't have anything else to offer. That's where some of us are. We're in our 38th year of suffering. We're in the 39th day before Pentecost. You've given up 100 times already. You've already said, I'm so done. It's one of those phrases I'd like to eradicate from the English language, that and whatever. Those, that phrase and that word. Let's just, just cut that out. Because they're both anti-faith. Now that I said that, I'm going to go home, and tonight we're probably going to have some kind of controversial discussion, and I'm going to end it by saying, whatever, I'm so done. I'll be like Peter when the cock crowed. That's right. We don't, we don't have chickens anymore because the foxes. We, don't, we, we had a, somebody in the neighborhood that had chickens, and the fox came in right in the city of Framingham and ate them. But now we have a turkey. So when the turkey gobbles three times, I remember these words that I spoke this morning. <laughs> and then I'll go shoot the turkey. I won't. It's not legal. Right when you are about to be resigned to a mundane existence, Jesus shows up on the scene. What does he say? Stand up! Well, that's not wise. That's not what a pastoral type person would say to someone who is infirmed. He would just love them and care for them. 
Jesus asks him a question. The guy doesn't even answer the question, and so Jesus doesn't address the answer that is outside the context of the conversation that he's trying to have. Do you truly want to be well? Do you truly want a touch from God? And then you say, well, I don't have anybody. You don't know what I've been through. I've been here watching everybody else get carried into the pool, and I've got no, my family rejected me. My friends rejected me. My city rejected me. My people, I don't even have people and you want to talk to me about being healed and Jesus replies to that reply by saying hey stand up pick up the instruments of your lethargy pick up the instruments of your slumber and be healed 38 years of suffering and rejection he was marginalized. He was underprivileged. He was passed over. And little did he know that on that glorious day when he woke, just like any other day, that he would hear the voice, that he would see the faith, that he would discern the words, do you truly want to be healed? Do you truly long? What is the longing of your heart when you wake up in the morning? Whose voice do you want to hear? Whose face do you want to see? When you wake, whose name is upon your lips? I'm not talking about the name that slips out when you stub your toe in the morning. I'm talking about Jesus the Christ, Yeshua the anointed one, the son of the most high, the one who is seated at the right hand of the father, the bright and morning star, the author and the finisher of our faith, the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end, the voice that spoke into the darkness and light came. He was there at the beginning and he is there at the end and he is seated outside the timeline of your difficulty right now and so he already sees you on the other side of this thing. He sees you glorified. He sees you high and lifted up. He sees you seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And he's saying to you, you're in the 38th year of your suffering. You're on the 39th day before Pentecost. But if you just wait a little longer, if you just press in a little bit more, if you just respond to my voice, the Spirit of God will come upon you and everything will be made new. How will you respond? That next verse when the man realized I'm having a conversation that he's not having right now. And Jesus looks at him and says, stand up. Pick up that stuff that used to identify you. Pick up those things that you're married to. Because if you don't pick them up after I go, you might just lay back down into that which you are familiar with. So you better pick it up. And when he picked it up, when he immediately responded, freedom came. Do you truly long to be free? Where grace is given, responsibility is assumed every single time. Now, I'm not saying that so that you stay away from grace. I'm saying get in it. His mercies are new every morning. His grace is sufficient for you. And he, he so longs for us to walk in a way that we can do greater works than he did. Christ in you, the assurance of the revelation 
of the glory of God on earth. That is what you are called to. Let's stand together. God you are. Your path for me has been perfect. All your promises have proven true. You gotta understand the writer of this psalm endured suffering, endured rejection, at times feared for his life. But he walked with honor toward an earthly king who wanted to slay him. And he says, your path for me has been perfect. All your promises have proven true. What a secure shelter for all those who turn to hide themselves in you. You are the wraparound God giving grace to me. Could there be any other God like you? You are the only God to be worshipped, for there is not a more secure foundation to build my life upon than you. You have wrapped me in power, and now you've shared with me your perfection. Through you, I ascend to the highest peaks of glory to stand in the heavenly places, strong and secure in you. You've trained me with the weapons of warfare worship, and now I'll descend into battle with power to chase and conquer my foes. You empower me for victory with your wraparound presence. Your power within me makes me strong to subdue, and by stupid down in gentleness you strengthened me and made me great you set me free from captivity and now I'm standing complete ready to fight some more when the clock ticked to day 40 and the Holy Spirit came down like tongues of fire upon those who were in the upper room. Let me tell you that the initial evidence of the moving of the Spirit was boldness for a people who have been shut up in an upper room for 40 days, suddenly they decided the best idea that we have right now in an environment where we know we will be persecuted is to spill out of this room into the city streets to demonstrate the power and the glory of the living God. So at a future time, the Apostle Paul could write, we don't come at you with convincing words of, men and, of men's wisdom, but by the power and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit because that's what a tongue of fire will do. That's what the mark of the Spirit will do. That's what the cross of Christ will do. It will fill you with a boldness and a confidence that even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will not fear because you know, you have experienced, you have an awareness that God is with me. And so this is how we fight our battles. 
God, you are king. You are glorious. You are high and lifted up. You've been given a name that is above all names. You are enthroned in beauty, and from your throne proceeds thunders and lightnings. God, would you come and rest upon us in such a way that even out of our beings would explode thunders and lightnings, the voices and the names, the manifestation of the living God. Lord, would you come and move upon us? Would you increase even the glorious pressure of the weight of your nature upon us that from us now would come gushing rivers of living water everywhere we go, not because of our mood, not because of how we woke up in the morning, but because there is an eternal reality upon us that is greater than our momentary affliction. Oh God, as we come together and these tributaries become a stream that become a river God, Lord, that the people of God would establish such a mighty rushing river upon this land that people will get caught up in the swirl and the eddies of the flow of the spirit God would you come and move upon us now the clock is ticking and the day is coming this is your day to be transformed from one level of glory to another level of glory. If you're here, you're watching, and you don't know this Jesus that we're talking about, I want to introduce you right now. Right now. This is your time. Maybe you grew up in this thing. Maybe you have an awareness, but you know that you've not fully committed your life. This is your time. And so we're going to pray a prayer together right now. Would you just pray after me? God, I want to know you. I accept your gift of life to me. I accept Jesus' death and his resurrection from death that reversed the curse of sin and death in my life. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I turn from my way and I turn towards your way. I want to follow you, God, the rest of my life. But I need your love. Would you reveal your love to me now? Yeah. Reveal it, Lord. Reveal your love. That down deep love, God. The oil that goes to the deep places. Would you pour out your power and your anointing, your fire, your glory? Would you release the oil of your anointing in this place? Just receive now, just receive that down deep oil, touching you even in the place of your pain, in the space of your disappointment. says, I know you're broken. I know you're weak. I know you feel disjointed. But come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. They that wait upon the Lord, he will renew you. He will cause you to mount up on wings as eagles. 
You will run and not grow weary. You will walk and not grow faint, even in the midst of your circumstance. You will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Thank you for listening to this message from the Bridge Metro West in Natick, Massachusetts. Paul David Gidry is the senior pastor at the Bridge. For more information about the Bridge Metro West family, our gatherings and events, visit www.bridgemetrowest.com or call us at 508-651-0277.